This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This episode is episode 234, entitled, Is Melchizedek Jesus? That's the question we're going to look to answer in this week's episode. So we're going to explore this strange and enigmatic person named Melchizedek, who according to Genesis chapter 14 is the king of Salem. Now, some interpreters have argued based on the comments within the book of Hebrews that Melchizedek, this strange and odd figure in Genesis chapter 14, to whom Abraham paid tithes. Some people argue that Melchizedek is actually the pre-incarnate Jesus, suggesting that Melchizedek is Jesus before he became flesh, the Son of God in a pre-incarnate form. This, of course, would suggest that Jesus Christ literally pre-existed his birth in the form of this man, Melchizedek. So here's some questions I would like to explore in this week's episode. First, what does the Old Testament have to say about Melchizedek? Second, what does it mean that Jesus became a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek? Third, what meaning should we give to the designation that Melchizedek, who is compared to the Son of God, was without a father and mother? And lastly, does Melchizedek's appearance in Genesis chapter 14 indicate that Jesus Christ did indeed consciously pre-exist his birth? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is an introduction of Melchizedek looking at Genesis chapter 14. So we're going to read this passage of Genesis 14, and we're going to see the first occurrence of this particular figure and gather some data in regard to who he is, his functions, his relationship to Abram, and find out any clues that we can about his identity. So let's start in Genesis 14, verse 14. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he let out his trained men born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them as far as Hobah which is north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods and also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions and also the women and the people. Then, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, which is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought 
out bread and wine. Now, he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him, that is, Melchizedek blessed Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. That is, Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all. That's Genesis chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. So seemingly out of nowhere, this figure Melchizedek is introduced into our narrative with little to no introduction. Let's look at what we can discern about him. So first, let's look at his name. Melchizedek is a combination of Melech, which means king, the I at the end of it is the first person singular pronominal suffix, so my king, and then we have Sedek, which involves the word righteous or righteousness, so it probably indicates something along the lines of my king is righteous, something like that. Some scholars have been able to discern some deeper meaning to it, but at the most basic level, we have my king is righteous. Probably a theophoric name going on here. Clearly, he claims to be a priest of the Most High God. Yes, he is described as a priest, but also we can see that he is the king of Salem. So he's one of the rare persons within the biblical narrative who is both a king and a priest. And that, of course, is going to be very important as to why the author of the book of Hebrews is going to pick up this particular figure and associate him in some form with Jesus, who is also, according to the book of Hebrews, the king, that is the anointed Messiah of God's kingdom, and a priest, namely the high priest. So Melchizedek here gets introduced, and yet it's pretty abrupt. We actually don't know where he came from, we know that he is the king of Salem, which most assume is related to Jerusalem. So he's the initial king of Jerusalem. And we can see that when he shows up, he gives this offering of food and wine to Abram. And as a priest, this seems to be part of this priestly blessing that Melchizedek is giving to Abram. So it's not only that Melchizedek pronounces a blessing, he also accompanies that pronouncement with the giving of bread and wine. Now, as the priest of the Most High God, Melchizedek is, of course, distinguished from the Most High God. You wouldn't assume that a priest of God is to be the same person as God. A priest, of course, is someone who mediates between God and the people. And this priestly figure seems to be a human being who mediates between the Most High God and Abraham and Abraham's party. Now, Melchizedek refers to God as the Most High God or God Most High, but he also calls God, according to the NESB, the possessor of heaven and earth. Now, when I look a little closer at this verb, the participial verb, kone, actually has more to do with the act of creating and making. 
in that God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. It has more to do in this passage with creating than it has to do with possessing. So you'll find some translations that says that God is the maker of heaven and earth or the creator of heaven and earth. So he, of course, is a priest. This is Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a priest and a king who distinguishes himself from God, God who is the creator. So this, of course, would indicate that Melchizedek is not the creator. As someone who is distinct from the creator, it is pretty natural to assume that he is someone who has been created. Now the Septuagint translator, the Greek Jew who translated the Hebrew, also understood this designation for God to refer to creation. And this translator translated the Hebrew participial verb kone with the Greek verb ktizo, which means to create. So we have some verification there. God there is the creator of heaven and earth. And that is the designation that Melchizedek gives to this God. So Melchizedek appears kind of as this outsider. He's not a part of Abraham's household. He's not one of Abraham's servants. This is also the first time we actually hear any reference to Salem or Jerusalem. In fact, when Melchizedek is introduced as a priest, if you just started reading the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 and you worked your way all the way to Genesis chapter 14, this is also the first time that you actually learn about a priest. Melchizedek is the first priest in the Bible. In fact, it seems to indicate that Melchizedek is God's first priest. So that's very significant. And of course, the author of the book of Hebrews, as we're going to see, is going to have quite a lot to say about that, especially since Melchizedek blesses Abraham and Abraham responds to that blessing by paying tithes to Melchizedek. Now the tithe that Abraham gives to Melchizedek involves 10% of his war spoils. And then the passage is going to continue to go on and say that Abraham gives the rest of his war spoils to the king of Sodom. But by Abram giving tithes to Melchizedek, the first, the first 10% portion, Abram is actually acknowledging Melchizedek's kingship and priesthood. And this regards Melchizedek within the book of Genesis as a legitimate priest who mediates the Most High God's priestly functions. That's basically all we can learn about Melchizedek from Genesis chapter 14. But Genesis 14 is not the only time that Melchizedek appears within the Hebrew Bible. And this moves us, of course, to our second point, which is the mentioning of Melchizedek in Psalm 110. Yes, Melchizedek appears in Psalm 110, verse 4, but I'm going to read the first four verses in order to give us the context that we need. So Psalm 110, starting in verse 1, it says, Yahweh says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Yahweh will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. 
Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. That's Psalm 110, verses 1 through 4. And it's that fourth verse where Yahweh declares to this exalted Lord at his right hand that this exalted Lord is to be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So a perpetual priesthood. He is to be a priest forever. And this perpetual priesthood is promised by Yahweh to this exalted Lord figure. And it's clear in this passage that this priest is someone who is distinguished from Yahweh because Yahweh is telling this other figure, this exalted Lord at Yahweh's right hand, that this exalted Lord is to be a priest forever. There's no reason to confuse or collapse this figure with Yahweh, the one who is speaking. Now, he is a priest forever, not according to the order of Aaron or to the order of Levi or to the Zadokite priesthood, nothing like that. He is a priest according to this figure from Genesis 14, this enigmatic figure that is the priesthood that this exalted Lord is going to resemble. Now, why is this exalted Lord a priest in the order of Melchizedek? So we have to think back to what we can see in Genesis 14. And Genesis 14, because it doesn't actually say much about Melchizedek, it gives biblical interpreters all the more reason to speculate and to ponder upon it. This is not new. Whenever something in the Bible is unclear, people tend to speculate with it and run with it in all sorts of directions. So Psalm 110 seems to be reflecting on Genesis 14, and it notes that, well, Melchizedek had no successors. There are no records of any other priest that are serving with Melchizedek. In fact, Melchizedek is the very first priest mentioned in the Bible before Aaron and Levi are even born. So since there is no record of Melchizedek dying in the Genesis narrative, and thereby passing along his priesthood to another, the author of Psalm 110 is interpreting Melchizedek's priesthood as perpetual. And this exalted Lord at Yahweh's right hand, which we know the New Testament authors are going to unambiguously interpret as referring to Jesus in light of his resurrection and exaltation to heaven. This figure is going to be declared to be a priest, a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now let's look at the references to Melchizedek in the New Testament, all of which are in the book of Hebrews. This moves us to our third and final point, which is the figure of Melchizedek in the book of Hebrews. So we've got a couple passages from Hebrews that we need to examine in order to make sense of the totality of this figure Melchizedek as he is discussed within both Testaments, in the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. So let's start in Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 5, and throughout the reading I'm just going to stop and comment on the passages. 
So starting in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5, the author says, So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. But he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you, just as he says also in another passage, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So let me stop there after verse 6. So we can see here the author is saying that he who said to him, meaning God said to Jesus, God declared to Jesus, and then there's a quotation from Psalm 2.7. God is declaring to Jesus that Jesus is the royal son of God, the king, the anointed king. And then the same subject, God, says in another passage, and then the quotation comes from Psalm 110, verse 4 that we just read, indicating that Jesus is a priest forever. So with the combination of these quotations put together here by the author of Hebrews, we can see that Jesus is a king and Jesus is a priest. And the fact that Jesus has been raised to eternal life indicates that he is a priest forever and a king forever. So in this sense, Jesus is like Melchizedek. Jesus is a king and Jesus is a priest. Let's move on in our passage, Hebrews 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, he, Jesus, offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. That's Hebrews 5, verses 5 through 10. So God made Jesus the high priest because Jesus was obedient to God, resulting in Jesus' suffering and the perfection that comes about through resurrection and the receiving of immortality. God gave immortality to Jesus. And the author of Hebrews is, of course, very careful to distinguish God and Jesus. The author of Hebrews is not confusing the two of them. God and Jesus are not collapsed into a single being in this passage. It is quite clear Jesus is the one who died. God is the one that saved Jesus from death. Jesus obeyed God. God made and designated Jesus as the high priest. Let's move to the end of Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews 6, verses 19 through 20, which says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. That's Hebrews 6, verses 19 through 20. So now we learn that Jesus has entered the veil. The veil, of course, is the separation of the innermost sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, in a temple. But Jesus has not entered into the earthly Jerusalem temple, which may or may not have been standing, depending on the dating of the book of Hebrews. Some people think the book of Hebrews was written after the year 70. doesn't affect this passage much because this is in reference to the heavenly temple, 
the heavenly temple that Jesus entered via the veil. And this, of course, is something that Jesus can do because he has been made a high priest. He has become the high priest forever. And this passage indicates that the word forever does not mean from eternity, from all time, since Jesus became the high priest. He's not the high priest from eternity. The role of the high priest was one of the rewards that was bestowed upon Jesus upon his resurrection and exaltation. It says again in verse 20 of Hebrews 6 that Jesus, having become a high priest forever. So he received this position, this role, and he's going to continue to maintain this role for the rest of eternity. But forever is not looking backwards in time and pointing the arrow stretching all the way back to the beginning of history. And this passage in Hebrews chapter 6 actually continues into chapter 7. It just moves on to Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1, which continues the long discussion about Melchizedek. So let's read that passage. So Hebrews 7 verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So that's chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. This, of course, reminds the readers that the forerunner, Melchizedek, was a king and he was also a priest. And Jesus, the one who came after Melchizedek, was also a king and a priest. So now we move on to the difficult part. In Hebrews 7, verse 3, it refers to Melchizedek and it says, Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. So, without father, without mother, and without genealogy. This is just looking at Genesis chapter 14 and commenting on the lack of information that the narrator of Genesis gives in regard to Melchizedek. In fact, there are several genealogical passages in the book of Genesis, but there are no genealogical records for the figure of Melchizedek. Now, this should not come as a surprise because, in fact, most of the minor characters in the book of Genesis have no mother or father listed. This doesn't mean, of course, that they have no mother and no father. And in the original passage where Melchizedek is introduced, Genesis 14, almost all of the minor participants have no genealogy listed and no reference to their mother and father. So the king of Salem, to whom Abram gave the rest of his war spoils, there's no mother mentioned, there's no father mentioned, and there's no genealogy for the king of Salem. What about Chedor Lamor, the king of Elam? That was also mentioned in the passage. No mother, no father, no genealogy. What about the kings who were with Chedor Lamor? 
no mothers, no fathers, and certainly no genealogies. What about all of those men who were in Abraham's army? Guess what? No genealogy, no mothers, no fathers listed. You get the picture. So people have often taken this passage in Hebrews 7 and verse 3, and they said, oh, look, Melchizedek has no mother, no father, no genealogy, and he's like Jesus. He's like the Son of God. Maybe Jesus has no mother and no father because he's an eternally existing person who has always existed because he is the Most High God. But that's not what's being said here. The author of Hebrews is simply commenting on the fact that we don't know anything about Melchizedek because nothing else is mentioned about him and where he came from and where he's going, who his parents were, who his descendants are. It's just not mentioned. And this, of course, indicates that from the perspective of Genesis 14, the priesthood remained with Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a priest forever. Now, this passage in Hebrews 7 and verse 3 says that Melchizedek was made like the Son of God, which qualifies by indicating that Melchizedek remains a priest perpetually. So Melchizedek is a priest forever, and guess what? Jesus, the Son of God, is a priest forever. Now, the passage is not equating the two. The two are distinguished. Jesus and Melchizedek are distinguished. They're not confused. They're not collapsed. But they're alike. How are they alike? They're alike because they share similar features. As we have seen, there are both kings, they're both priests, and they both have perpetual priesthoods. And guess what? There's no other person in the Old or New Testament that share these same characteristics. So we've got this rare enigmatic figure from the Hebrew Bible, Melchizedek, and Jesus, the most important human being who has ever lived, share these features. They're kings, they're priests, and their priesthood remains perpetually. So that is how Melchizedek is like the Son of God. Not that he is the Son of God, but he is like the Son of God in that they share these very important and rare qualifications. Let's move on to the passage. Verse 4. Now observe how great this man, to whom Abraham the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi, who received the priest office, have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them, that is, Melchizedek, collected a tenth from Abraham, and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Pretty clear here. Melchizedek was a king, and he was God's high priest. So he is the greater person, and Abraham is the lesser person. The lesser is blessed by the greater. Verse 8. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And this passage indicates that the mortal men from the Levitical priesthood, yeah, they continually receive tithes, but they're mortal. They die off. Their priesthood 
has to be passed along. But Melchizedek received tithes, and his priesthood is like the priesthood of Jesus, one that is perpetual, and the priesthood of Jesus is one bestowed upon Jesus that now lives forever because he shares in the likeness and in the order of Melchizedek's priesthood. So there's a contrast here between the fact that those who receive tithes, the Levitical priesthood, are men who are mortal, they're going to die, and yet Jesus, who has been given immortality, maintains a priesthood that is perpetual. Verse 9, And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, this is a very interesting form of interpretation. It indicates that Abraham, inside his own loins, inside his man parts, had within him a variety of descendants. We can go from Isaac, and from Isaac we have Jacob, and from Jacob we have the sons, one of whom is Levi. And so, if Abraham, this is according to the interpretation of the author of Hebrews, if Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, then those who are still in his loins, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Levi, Levi being the originator of the Levitical priesthood, that would indicate that even Levi, in some very distant sense, paid tithes to Melchizedek, which would indicate that the Levitical priesthood is acknowledging that the priesthood from Melchizedek that has now been passed on to Jesus is superior to the Levitical priesthood. It's a very interesting way of interpreting things. You might think that that's a little bit of a stretch, but that's the argument that he's making. Verse 11. Now a perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not to be designated according to the order of Aaron? So the argument here is that if the Levitical priesthood is perfect and should remain, why did the Hebrew Bible say that there's going to be this other figure from Psalm 110 verse 4 that's going to show up based on this other priesthood, the priesthood from the order of Melchizedek, that the author of Hebrews has already made the argument that is superior to the Levitical priesthood. Verse 12, For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change in law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated at the altar. So, the priesthood has changed from Levi to Melchizedek, and there's a change of law, indicating a change from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And this, of course, indicates that instead of the priesthood coming from the tribe of Levi, it's now coming from a different tribe. And Jesus, of course, is not from the tribe of Levi. He's actually from a tribe of Judah, which the author is going to point out right here in verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priest. Now, the here says, look, it's evident, it's obvious, it is quite plain that Jesus descended from the tribe of Judah. Jesus 
is an Israelite. Jesus is a Jew. He is a human descendant from Judah. He's a member of the human race. This, of course, means that Jesus has a father and a mother. Now, we know that the father is God because earlier we saw the quotation from 2 Samuel 7 and, of course, Psalm 2-7. I will be your father. He will be my son. You are my son. Today I become your father. And, of course, Jesus has a genealogy. We can see that, look, he descended from the line of Judah. So there are certain things that are said about Melchizedek that are not said about Jesus. Melchizedek has no genealogy. It is evident, according to the author of Hebrews, that Jesus descended from Judah. Melchizedek is not the same as Jesus. In the last couple of verses, verse 15, this is clearer still. If another priest arises according in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him, you are priests forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. That's verses 15, 16, and 17 of Hebrews chapter 7, indicating that the priesthood of Jesus is not something that's designated by the law of Moses. It's designated by this promise in Psalm 110, verse 4. And Jesus has it, because he has been the recipient of indestructible life. God has given to Jesus indestructible life, eternal life, immortality, and thereby Jesus can become a priest, and that priesthood is going to remain forever. And it's like Melchizedek's priesthood, which is superior to the Levitical priest. So because of the resurrection, when the Most High God, the creator of the heavens and earth, when that Most High God raised up Jesus, Jesus was the recipient of indestructible life. And thereby, he is a better priest, and he is now the high priest. So we can see from the evidence here that our original question, is Melchizedek Jesus, can be given a confident answer, no. Melchizedek is not Jesus. Jesus has received a priesthood in the likeness of Melchizedek. But Jesus is not Melchizedek. Melchizedek is not the pre-incarnate Jesus. Jesus was born. Jesus was a descendant of Judah. And Jesus is clearly distinguished from the Most High God. Because Jesus is a human being. And God is a single person, not a plurality of persons. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we stay in the book of Hebrews. And we're going to look at the passage in chapter 13, verse 8, which says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Another passage that is sometimes interpreted to indicate that Jesus has lived forever as the eternal God who can't change and can't die and is immutable. And let's look at this passage and let's see. What is the author of Hebrews saying about Jesus that would bring about this comment? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support us for free, absolutely for free, by subscribing on YouTube and iTunes, by giving us an honest review on iTunes, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. 
If you'd like to offer a donation to the podcast, check out this episode's description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.